Shalom and welcome. My name is Miriam Anzavand and I'm the co-host of the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. Thank you all for joining us today for this webinar and live podcast recording. I am here with my co-host Dan Seligson and two expert guests to talk about a really very important issue, honoring and supporting our elders during the coronavirus crisis. Yeah, and you know, around mid-March, when social distancing started getting serious, I stocked up on bags of flour and yeast. I figure with time on my hands, in addition to growing this fine beard, like so many others, I would make bread. So I asked my parents if they wanted any, and they kept going to stores. And they said, no, we don't need any. And they were totally freaking me out. So I was pleading, don't do it anymore. I'll bake you bread. We can pool our online orders. I'll deliver stuff that I have and you don't. I'll bring the kids by and they can wave from the driveway and I can call every day and sometimes twice. Let's FaceTime and email and whatever else. Please just stay home. You know, coronavirus has just changed our interactions with everyone, but sometimes it seems so much more pronounced with the people who are over 60. In my case, my parents are more at risk than I am. And I recognized that I needed to step up. So from friends, I started hearing about all the different interesting ways in which neighbors and other people are doing just that. And we thought it would be helpful to talk about this topic today on this episode of the Vibe of the Tribe, and hopefully through this discussion, give other people ideas about what we can do to make life a little bit easier and safer for older people right now. Yeah. So showing respect to the elders in our community, whether we are directly related to them or not, is a huge part of Judaism. The Torah says you should rise before the elderly and honor the aged. Teachings about caring for our community elders are further emphasized in the Talmud and can be found in Jewish thought and practice for thousands of years up until the present day. Right now, because of the pandemic, we're living in a time when interacting with and honoring our elders looks quite different from what we're used to. Today, we're happy to have with us two experts who can help us understand and explore how our community is caring for and honoring our elders during the pandemic. Joining us is Kara Baskin, Jewish Boston's parenting writer and feature writer for the Boston Globe, and Karen Wasserman, founding director of Your Elder Experts, a program of Jewish Family and Children's Service. We will leave time for questions from our audience at the end. Please submit your questions, including your first name and hometown, using the Q&A button. You won't be able to see your question, but we will. This conversation will also be released as an upcoming episode of the Vibe of the Tribe podcast, which you can find and share at jewishboston.com slash podcast. So let's get started. Welcome, Kara and Karen. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. So, Kara, um, from this side of Arlington, a Hello, question Hello, my you. neighbor. Yes, how are <laughs> you, my neighbor? quarantine neighbor. Yes, I haven't seen you, but I know you're there. I know you're there. I, I'm here. Tell us a little bit about what you've learned talking to people in this community and others about how they're helping older people in their lives. I think that, first of all, I've been really impressed with the level of care and deliberation and devotion that most people who I've spoken with and my friends and professional sources have had in terms of looking after their parents. One thing that's been written about quite a bit, and I don't know if there's actual statistical data that bears this out, but anecdotally, I keep hearing that my generation, Dan, let's say our generation. Now um, your generation. I'm a little bit older, but yes. I a little, General but generation. so that, that kind of like, you know, parents, but also the sandwich generation, right? We have been very diligent about safety, whereas perhaps our, the older generation has been, at least with my own friends, parents and so forth, maybe a little bit slower to realize what the impact might be. And we've been telling our parents like, no, please, you don't have to go to the grocery store just to get 
some double stuff Oreos, you know, like really use those outings wisely. So I think that a lot of people are taking extra care and making sure that their parents are well stocked, like you, Dan, and well fed and staying in and taking the appropriate safety precautions. I think that's a big thing. And the other thing is also helping them adjust to new technology, like trying to get them. My dad played Zoom poker for the first time with his poker buddies for the first time in 30 years. But he's texting my brother <laughs> and me like, how do I set up Zoom? Can I do it on my, can I do it on my desktop? Or can I use an iPad? Just please use the iPad. So also kind of working out the technological aspect is a big thing. So making sure they stay safe, but also making sure that they stay technologically connected uh, is a big one as well. And I have specific ideas about how to do that that we can get into later. But I think it's something that's very much on there, on everybody's minds. So, Kara, sure. you've been you've been writing a, a couple of stories about this, at least a lot, yeah. um, both for Jewish Boston and for the Globe. What are mm-hmm. some interesting and kind of unique things that you've heard about people doing and organizations yeah. doing over the past few weeks? One thing that I think has been really helpful and one thing that's really nice is sort of, and that goes to Miriam's point as well, is sort of honoring your elders and turning them into teachers and using this opportunity as a teaching experience um, for your children to interact with your parents. So, I mean, Dan, I'm sure you're in the same boat as me with your children trying to focus on online learning and a million different passwords and platforms and ready to throw the Google Chromebook out the window. Using your parents as teachers and setting up calls in which, you know, your kids can ask some questions. What was it like when you were growing up? Maybe your dad has an aptitude for math and can help your child, you know, with his multiplication when you don't have time because you have to work. So really maximizing time in a different way as opposed to maybe pre-pandemic, you know, you call your parents and check in and have some small talk and then get off the phone. Now it's really optimizing that time and turning your parents into more than just grandparents, but also using their expertise in a teaching way as well. So that's something. And then from a community perspective, a lot of Jewish organizations throughout the Boston area are thinking of innovative ways to pair younger folks with older people. There's a buddy system, phone system, and I can look up the phone number and give it to people before we hang up or I can give um, shoot out the link but that is going on in conjunction with two life communities and the Rashi school and a few other organizations that pair high school students and college students who are home with perhaps not a lot to do with older people for a friendly check-in, sort of a virtual visit, which is really nice. And I know the Hebrew Rehab Center based in Roslindale is asking people to make cards and to write letters. And that's something that I keep hearing that benefits both kids and older people Kids can do kind of a crafting, artsy project. They can write letters. They can practice their spelling and they can practice their writing and they can draw pictures. But the older generation, you know, they didn't grow up with email. They didn't grow up with FaceTime or Zoom or Google Hangouts. They got mail. And to the extent that it's still safe to get the mail, I think it's still permitted these days. They love getting mail. And it doesn't just have to be letters. It can be care packages. It can be photos. It can be other things, too. So that's something that I'm hearing a lot of, too. As awful as the situation is, I think it's forced people to think innovatively about their connections with a different generation. So that has sort of been a silver lining. Mm. So, Karen, tell us about the work that your elder expert does and how that work has now been impacted by the pandemic. Sure. I run Your Elder Experts, which is part of JFCS, and it's a large uh, through practice of aging life care managers. We are working with older adults and their families. We're helping them for planning for the future, stepping in in the middle of a crisis, or coming in at, at a, a juncture that they think someone needs more help. 
So we step in, we assess people's needs, we come up with a plan of care that's pretty individualized, and we do that based on our knowledge about the services out there, the resources, whether it's in the community or a, a a nursing home or a day program, whatever it would be, we try to help people make the first match be a good match and we help facilitate it. We work as closely or as coach-like as people want and we're there to make sure that the people who are making whatever happen happen have a teammate. So there are lots of adults out there that have people who are there for them and there are some that don't. And for those that don't, we're sort of a teammate with them helping to guide them in the right direction. So it's interesting that a lot of the work that we do hasn't changed. A little bit of how we do it has to be a little bit more creative, but we're still helping people in a crisis. We're helping people think through the much more complicated levels of decision-making about what's safe in the community. People who are making transitions now, it's not just which rehab should I go to, but which rehab actually feels safe. Which one, has, which one has the protocols in place that make me feel safer? Everyone who I'm speaking with and with and as well with the group, they want to know what's really safe. Before safe was, you know, there wasn't a risk of falling. Now safe is, what's the chance that um, I'm going to be exposed to the virus? And there's so many different layers. And that's what we are, we're helping people do. We're still doing our medical management. We're just doing it telehealth-wise. Many of the areas that we are expertise at, we're still doing, and we're still there for people who are managing a crisis or realizing they just really need support. Yeah, and I just want to mention for those tuning in right now that before we went live, Karen was uh, so helpful to me because I am currently a caretaker for my uh, 89-year-old grandmother who fell and broke her hip two weeks ago. And now we are in the situation of caring for her, yet also balancing that with our concerns about exposure to COVID. So Karen clearly, you know, has an amazing ability to, to get these resources and, you know, share these resources. So just thank you for that few seconds you offered me. I already feel so much uh, better and like I'm not alone, which I think um, is something that a lot of people are feeling right now. Just everyone's feeling so alone. And it's great to know that there are experts that we can call upon during these times of crisis. So, you know, speaking of connection, how are, are your elder experts helping people connect during this time? You know, working within a large community agency, there are were programs that were out there for people like the Parkinson's uh, dance program and the memory cafes, and they've gone virtual. So we are helping people who would otherwise be isolated and have fewer activities be able to stick with a routine and stay connected to the people they have uh, community relationships with. We have stepped up our phone contacts where we would probably usually check in with people at their own pace or only when things came up. Now we're calling people regularly, and we're calling people more often who have uh, cognitive impairment mm. so that they can hear a familiar voice regularly and sort of try and set them on their target for the day or connect with a caregiver. And also, when we don't get to see people, it gives us the opportunity to hear something different. So we call more often to see if we hear anything that sounds different. We are um, we're advocating in the communities. Um, where people live, as well as those who are at home with private caregivers, to promote phone calls, FaceTime. We're trying to 
increase the opportunities. And sometimes it's hard because like in some of the communities, they are really strapped when their caregivers have been getting sick or um, unable to, to be there. So they're, they're working with fewer people, but so we're trying to advocate for as much communication as possible between the older adults and their families. So what do people who are going through this, the elderly need from people like us who are able to help. I know, you know, personally, I have a situation in my family and I'm helping her and it's an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. And I'm lucky that I am right here with her. And how can those of us who maybe don't have someone living directly with them, but how can we help elderly members of our community? Well, it's also important to recognize that not all elders need the same thing. So hopefully knowing a little bit about who the older adult is can help guide you about what it would be that's most helpful. I think everyone wants to have assistance around food shopping, errands, and the increased phone calls. It's important, I think, to advocate for people to have the correct PPE so that older adults for themselves and for their caregivers have masks and gloves. For older adults, they need the kind with the elastic that goes around the ears, not the kind that they have to tie behind their head or to do it in front because not everybody still has the dexterity. So be kind get the elastic ones. I think obviously the thing about for all of us, keeping some kind of a regular routine would be helpful as much as you can. I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same, but for some of our clients, like an example is someone who would go to a gym um, once or twice a week. They can't go anymore, but their caregiver can help facilitate Zooming with the gym person. And so that they can keep exercising keep some regular communication with people that they knew and feel like they have some um, connection to their regular routine. You know, one thing I've noticed about routine, we're now six, I think six weeks, 50 days. It seems like it's been forever, but I think we're 50 days into the social distancing. And I wonder, you know, right at the beginning, there were certain needs. Everybody stocked up on toilet paper and instant yeast like me. Now that we're 50 days into it, I'm recognizing that masks that go over my ear are not good with hearing aids, so I might need some to tie behind my behind my head. But I'm wondering how how needs have evolved in the last six weeks. Have you seen these needs evolve with the with your clients? Yes, sure. I was thinking a lot about this because what I I think of it sort of like these layers. You know, as I said earlier, when when you think about safety. For older adults, it's often like, okay, do they have too many grow rugs? Do they have bars in the bathroom? Do their tub seat? Those more concrete things. But now we're really grappling with the different layers of safety in terms of the virus. So there's a lot of decision-making that wasn't really, we didn't think about in the beginning, other than is it safe to have someone come in? Is it safe better without? So now we have, what if the caregiver who's coming in is exposed elsewhere, but doesn't have any symptoms? Or what if someone's living at home and caring for a spouse and they themselves get sick? What what happens if older adults get sick? What are the repercussions for going to the hospital or not going to the hospital? There are all these decisions that are, are people are being confronted with that I think are extremely complicated So when someone calls me and says, is there a way to have a safe home care provider? They're scared. And so what what my job is to do is to really figure out 
how to provide people with enough information so that these new layers can be parceled out and you can come up with what feels most comfortable for you. And now it's a little bit more about how much risk you're willing to take. And I think you know that there, in the beginning, I think most, most communities didn't have the education, the, the information, or the PPE to keep people safe. And it's been slowly getting their way and a lot of damage happened before people really were up, up to snuff about how care needed to be provided. And in many times, it's not the community or the nursing home's fault. They literally were not prepared and could not be prepared because they couldn't get their hands on what they needed. And so the evolution of knowledge in order to provide good care has been huge. And I think ultimately, it's the layers of care and safety that people are grappling with that has really increased over this time. Yeah. The more complicated, more complicated decision making. Right, right. Kara, I mentioned that I bring my kids over to my parents' house. My parents stand above us on their on their kind of uh, entry walkway, and my kids run around like maniacs in their driveway. They write them notes, and we drop them off in their mailbox. They write notes for my sister and my nieces. They drop it off in their mailbox so they can read them. I'm wondering, you've got a couple of energetic young children. What are they doing to stay connected to their grandparents and vice versa? I just have to say, you're making me feel very worried about my supply of yeast, Dan. Oh, I'll, just come, I'll leave some out for you. I'll, I'll drop some. Okay, out. thanks. I'm good. I'm good. You're going to be sad. So we're fortunate that my parents live nearby, and they have a much bigger yard than we have in Arlington. So the boys have gone to their house a few times and run around in the front yard, and my parents watch from the front door behind a screen, which is very surreal, but it works. They also come to our house sometimes and they'll sit in the car and literally my kids will ride their bike in circles around the car and kind of talk to them. Or also have a little picnic on their front steps and they'll eat their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches while my parents watch from the car. Uh, so there's that. But so my older son has dyslexia. He's in third grade and writing and practicing writing is very fundamental for him. It's very important. And my mother is actually a retired elementary school teacher. So... This actually works out well. They have kind of created an organic pen pal situation where my son will write her a letter, put it in the mailbox, and he feels very big and important doing that. And then she, in her, you know, perfect penmanship, elementary school teacher penmanship, will write him a letter back. And so it serves two purposes. It helps him with some skills, gives her a chance to get some fun mail from her grandson. But then, you know, he also feels, my son feels important getting mail back. So we've been doing a lot of that. One thing, a kind of a lesson that I learned the hard way, I felt, Dan, like I'm sure you, like I, I'm sure any adult child is the compulsion to check in regularly. And I wanted to make sure that I was calling my parents almost every day, wanted to make sure they were doing all right. And then I'd call my kids to the phone. And like inevitably, the only time I would have would be right before dinner. My kids were hungry. They were distracted. They were trying to watch TV. The last thing they wanted to do was come to the phone. My parents would be trying to talk to them on speakerphone. They would give these one word answers and it, it wouldn't be productive for anybody. So I've been also looking into alternative ways for them to connect. And we still sometimes do phone calls. I try to plan it at a time when it's a little bit quieter. But so my, my third grader has been playing chess on an app. It's called Chess Time with my father. So they can, at the end of the day, my son unwinds with this app. 
my dad already loves playing chess and he can kind of impart, again, this kind of teaching moment, a skill to my third grader. And he is in a format that works well for him, like your kids, I'm sure, which is screens. So he gets to have screen time, but it's screen time connecting, you know, with my dad, doing something that doesn't involve, you know, watching mindless YouTube videos. So we've been doing a lot of that as well. And so last but not least, one thing also that I think has been nice with my kids' other set of grandparents is they did, one thing I think is important, and I keep hearing this from experts, is instead of just doing a phone call, maybe centered around a virtual activity, instead of just kind of, what's new with you? What's new with you? I mean, nothing's new with any of us, right? So centered around an activity. So my son made pierogies with his grandmother. And they all FaceTimed in. It was his two aunts, my husband and his mother, and they were all cooking apart, but together. So centering it around an activity, I think, has been really helpful as well. Okay, you're incredibly good at this. I just have to tell you, like, I've got so many ideas from you just now. That's great. Karen, I'm wondering if you've heard of some other practical ways in which children can stay connected to grandparents and the other way around. Karen, I think you've got it covered. You <laughs> can said, you tell I thought a lot about this? <laughs> unbelievable. I I had the same a portion of your list, okay. but I think the topper was cooking together and making pierogies. That is beautiful. Yeah. Totally beautiful. And I think... And we're still eating them. <laughs> that everybody's got to know what would be fun for their kids and for their parents and for their relatives. I, I just think that that was beautiful and creative. Yeah, I think that it covered. You should have a, a call-in show just for that. <laughs> Nobody wants to watch me. My, my husband is the cook in our family. I think, though, one thing it, it, that is really important for, for adult children to keep in mind is there is this sort of sense of guilt Am I doing enough for my parents? I should be there more. I should. I remember I was trying to fulfill an Amazon or an Instacart grocery order for my parents and it went all sorts of wrong. And like, I ordered them every wrong brand. And it's just like, you put so much pressure on yourself that if you can just set the bar a little bit lower, you know, and you know, my son can play a chess game. We can talk on the phone while making dinner, you know, just things that are, don't feel like a chore. They just feel like something that you can seamlessly weave into your day, I think is really helpful in reducing the guilt. I would like to issue a decree that chess is not screen time and should not count as screen time. No, absolutely not. It's an intellectually stimulating exercise, Dan. Exactly. Yeah. I think the important thing is also what you were just saying, Kara, that take the pressure off. It's not always going to be a great communication. Exactly. A day after day, unless you're someone who really communicated with your uh, older adult relatives every single day or twice a day, it's going to get a little boring or tiring, or sometimes it's not going to feel okay. And that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, especially with parents of young children, we're juggling more than we ever have. Not to sound like a martyr, but I mean, we're also dealing with trying to adjust them to online school, and we're probably, most of us are also working. And so it's hard to feel sound like a martyr it's okay we are (laughs) but to do you know you don't want to make it feel like one more thing you want it to work for you and if every like you said Karen not every communication has to be a stellar family moment it's not always going to play out that way and that's okay yeah I was going to ask you Karen about the technology gap that is can be a real problem not all people are adept at technology and we can't go over there and show them how to use certain things how to download an app for example so 
they, they may not know about things like Instacart or Amazon Fresh or any of these tools that I'm using constantly to get through the situation. So what are some ways that we can overcome that, that barrier? Well, first of all, if you've gotten Amazon Fresh to actually work, congratulations. Two times. I had a meltdown the other day with my Instacart, my first order, and it was terrifying. But so I think taking over some of the technological things for day-to-day life is a, is a very kind thing to do for older adults who are not tech savvy. But I noticed that a lot of the care managers um, that I work with are educating caregivers how to do these things with their clients. And they are also, you know, teaching the people who live in the housing with them how to do certain things, as well as we're trying really hard to to get the caregivers to actually do the things with their clients that would be of interest, you know? So you can know how to use Zoom or how to use a computer, but not necessarily know how to uh, get to something that would be of interest. So we're doing that as well. And I think people are being as creative as possible. I wanted to tell the story of, it was an email I just got over the weekend from a, a client I had worked with over the last couple of years. Her mom was in a nursing home. She got the virus. And she was dying in the nursing home, and they couldn't go be with her. A very close family, several adult children, several generations of people who really wanted to be there with her, and they couldn't. So they created a um, 24-hour flow of the three generations of their voices speaking kindly to her and mixed in little Frank Sinatra songs that were her favorites. And so as she was dying... She was surrounded by her family. Physically, she had three caregivers who the family adored by her side. But in her head, she was hearing their voices and they were just with her. And uh, my client said, one, it allowed me to sleep at night knowing that that was happening, that we were with her. And two, she said to me, share that with everyone you know, because it's a really good idea. (laughs) That's so powerful. That is incredible. I know. I was in tears as I was reading it because it was such a thoughtful and creative idea. Yeah. That's amazing. That's so ingenious and heartfelt. And wow, that's that's really powerful. Wow. So, I mean, let's talk now about those elders who don't have access at all to technology, which is such an integral part of how any of us are getting through this situation. They may not have access to iPhones or computers. They may be at a poverty level or an income level where they just can't afford these things. They didn't have them before. How can we help and reach those people? What What is being done? So at Japan, there has been a lot of donated laptops, oh. which is amazing. So the volunteer director said, I'm not sure how this all started, but the first round, they had like 17 laptops for us to give out to our clients who did not have or who would be able to use them or their caregivers would be able to help them use it. That was wonderful. One of the care managers said to me, it was beautiful. I brought the laptop, I gave it to my clients and they were like ecstatic. Like it, it, it is really a lifeline for people. So that's, that's one thing that people are doing. And I think that the mutual aid, the grassroots mutual aid groups that are cropping up or have been there, but not as active or well-known about are also doing things like that. They're taking requests and making them happen in in and around your own community, which is also extremely heartwarming. And 
uh, colleague gave me a, a statistic. I'm not a big statistics person, but she said that there was a Pew study done and 70% of older adults in the United States currently have a connection to the internet. So that was reassuring that we're headed in a direction where, while maybe not everybody, it's a very, it's a growing number of older adults who actually do have connections. So this is a question for both of you. If the situation remains in place beyond the summer, which is a horrible thing to think about, but we do need to think about that. What impact do you foresee this happening in the long term on families? I mostly think about how people are going to get worn out, the stress levels of the people providing care from the family members that have stepped in to provide 24-7, that they didn't do it before. No one really thought it would go on for this long or longer. I worry about them, just like I worry about caregivers in general when they're providing all the care every day without any respite. So I, I feel like there needs to be some creativity for those people out there who are going to be um, burnt out as caregivers and emotionally and physically. I worry a little bit the, the new routines. For some people, the new routines, the communication with family has been a silver lining. For others, it's hard to keep up and people will feel bad that they're not doing it over and over and over again, like they have been. They've moved on or it's just become more stressful to connect than it was before. For everyone, it's a little different. For some people and some of our clients, they thrive with the social distancing. They were never social people. They don't have the stress anymore. They've been content. For the rest of the people, I, I do fear about the fatigue, the fatigue of being isolated, the fatigue of not being connected to family, in a way that makes people feel less stressed and the stress of the caregivers over time. And just from a, a parenting perspective, a balancing perspective, I think, and I was just interviewing a psychologist about this for the Globe, there's been a shift, I think, especially when the news came down that schools weren't reopening for the year, which I think we all sort of suspected was coming, but it was official last week. There's been just a mental shift in terms of thinking this is sort of a novelty sprint, and this is now we're digging in for a long marathon. There's just been a shift in realization and perception. And I think if you think of this as sort of a hierarchy of needs, right, and even up until recently, we were thinking about that top of the triangle of self-actualization and doing the best we can in terms of checking in every day and making sure that our kids were crafting and doing, you know, chores and doing their schoolwork, and we were checking on our parents every day. I think that it might slowly distill down to our basic physiological needs being met. You know, are we healthy? Are we warm? Are we safe? Are we secure? I think that there'll be a real paring down of responsibility. And if there is any sort of silver lining to be found in this, and it gets harder and harder as time goes on to find any, I think there might be a sense of reprioritization into finding time for the things that really do matter. And so if connecting with your parents is something that you really prize, well, maybe you're shifting and spending more time doing that instead of trying to get your kids onto 10 different learning platforms when it really doesn't matter. So there might be a slight shift in terms of reprioritization as we realize that this isn't going to end anytime soon. I really hope my kids can go to summer camp, but we will <laughs> we'll see how that goes. It's a marathon. Well, thank you both. We have some questions. Um, questions from the audience. Yes, I've got a question from Ashley. Any suggestions for young adults who live in different states than their parents or other relatives? 
I actually saw that. I saw that question. I had a quick suggestion for um, older people who do happen to have access to an iPhone or Mm -hmm. some level of technology. One thing that I didn't mention earlier that I've been doing with my kids is at night, they make a short video for my parents just to say goodnight. I love you. And so, you know, a young adult, people who especially who are digital natives who are used to communicating on video might think about making little online diaries for older family members and sending them to them, even if it's just I mean, they don't need to have Instagram or TikTok or whatever the kids use these days. But they could even make a video text at night or something just to kind of change up the format a little bit. That might be something that's nice. I know my my dad really appreciates it. So Karen, did you have I was gonna say I wrote that one down. So here we've got another one. When you're caring for others in your household, how do you also ensure you take care of yourself and protect your mental and physical health? This is one that resonates with me a great deal. I feel like this is the key to us being able to survive this in the long run. And I certainly struggle. I'm a bit of a sandwich generation person as well. And it is uh, very time consuming dealing with kids at home trying to understand the many different layers of their online work, which they seem to understand, but flies by so quickly, I cannot catch up. I feel like the thing that some of us might normally have done to keep ourselves sane, we gave up. And it slowly over time, we realized we cannot survive without having some sort of a physical activity, respite time. And it, it's a shift that is not easy. For some of us, we're caretakers and we feel like our job isn't done until our children are happy or well-fed or the house is clean or whatever. Being at home is nice. You don't have to commute to work, but you see everything that needs to be done around you and it's endless. So until you make your peace with your list of to-do things and realize that you need to have time for yourself, it is the only way to survive in my mind. And it's not easy. It, it takes effort. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is helpful to anyone, but I can tell you what we've done in my house, which is we have an on-call schedule where, you know, if I don't have any meetings between in a certain block of time, I am on call to care for my grandmother and I switch off with my uncle. So we both know when we are expected to be present to offer care and when we can step back and handle other things that need addressing. So I hope that's a helpful thing. We make a chart every night and we put it on the wall. Okay, we've got another question from Judy. So this is from somebody whose mom is at at Hebrew Senior Life, I guess it must be in Roslindale, and missing our visits terribly. We Zoom courtesy of HSL. Is there anything else we can do for her? Well, it's great that HSL is doing that. And hopefully they're doing it somewhat regularly so that everyone feels uh, connected. I mean, I think that if she's, if the the elder is able to watch a Zoom, they could do just what Kara said. They could also be watching a, a, a little video of family or sharing something that would be entertaining. I think that the, the letter writing and the art sending are also really important things that can happen. And I, I think that So many of the suggestions that Kara gave us are perfect for someone living in a nursing facility as well. Okay, so I think we've got our last one here. Uh, Do you think that people living alone should move in with their parent if the parent is also alone? Is that safe? Have you heard of instances where that is working? Yes, depending on how healthy the parent is and whether there are underlying Uh, medical issues. 
it depends how socially isolated the distance, rather, the adult child was, how often they go in and out. It's a personal safety level, risk-taking thing. It has to be sort of working for both of them. Unless the parent needs the care that the adult child is providing, it should be pretty clear to both of them whether it's going to work or not. Because you don't want to put yourself in a situation that's going to be more stressful than being alone. I find sometimes we assume we know what the other person wants. And I'm a firm believer in trying to have a really honest conversation about whether it can work. Going through the day's activities, what they both think is acceptable. There should be a little negotiation before something like that happens. Because I have plenty of friends and colleagues who are living alone, and some of them feel more comfortable, and others stress every day about whether they should be taking their parents out of the elder housing complex they're living in. We could talk about it day and night, but I, I think come up with the pros and cons and figure out what's going to work for you and for them. An open conversation. This is the last one right here. How do you think extended family dynamics are changing as a result of social distance? Finishing sure. with an easy one. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I think, I think that there has become a greater sense, at least on my part, and I'm trying, my husband might say something different, but of tolerance in terms of what needs to get done. I'm the type of person who cannot stand a mess. If there's a dish in the sink, I put it in the dishwasher right away. You know, my house is not going to look perfect right now. There are certain things that I've had to let go in terms of my kids. And that sense of relinquishing control can feel very foreign and be very hard. But at the same time, it's also very liberating and very empowering to know that, you know, doing your best really is enough. And I think that in our society, we're told that we need to be busy and on and perfect all the time. And right now... At last, here's a situation where the playing field is somewhat level. Most of us are confined to our homes, not all of us. Some of us, of course, have to go out and work on the front lines, and I fully appreciate that. But so many of us are all in the same boat. And for me, there's been sort of a collective sigh of relief, like we're all in this together. So there's been an increased sense, I think, on my on my part of tolerance, for sure. My kids are definitely getting on one another's nerves more. But again, it's like, whereas normally that would have bothered me, it's you know, it's normal. They don't have any space to run around. They need to get their energy out somehow. So it's just sort of letting things be imperfect and dwelling in that sort of messy imperfection and allowing it to just be. I think that that is what has changed for me. And at the same time, also really appreciating um, the fact that my parents do live nearby and they're over 70, but thankfully they're relatively healthy, relatively stable. It's brought into sharper focus the fact that um, those connections really do matter. And, you know, even having my kids go through the deliberate actions of recording a cell phone video or writing a letter or playing chess. I mean, these are things that in our normal lives we maybe wouldn't have done or maybe would have taken for granted. They're now becoming deliberate and in a strange sort of beautiful way, um, it's brought the relationship into that much more focus and giving it that much more meaning. Karen, I just want to end with one, one question for you. What is giving you hope right now in this situation? I do believe that we will get back to some new normal that won't be like this. I do believe that as there's been this opportunity, just as Kara was saying, about sort of living a life that feels more connected to people we care about in a more deliberate way. And I do think that that will still be around after we're let out of our homes. I think 
that the creativity that had to come out of us, you know, we've had to all sort of come up with something that we're doing to our, our businesses, our, our family life. We've had to be creative. And I, I'm hopeful that some of that creativity is going to carry on so that, you know, we're not going to go back to business as usual, but let's not go back in a creative way. And I feel like so much, so much has been learned about what we can do and how we can be. And I think that that's the hopeful piece that we've, we've gotten to a point where going back, I think it's not a bad thing not to go all the way back. So I, we should relish the creativity and hold on to it. Well, I want to thank you both so much, Kara and Karen, for joining us for this really amazing conversation. Thank you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me an excuse to hide from my kids for 45 minutes. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> yeah, it worked out well. One of them came in, my third grader came in with his Chromebook while we were talking and I gave him a dirty look. <laughs> Stay out. Well, um, to our audience out there, thank you for joining us for this live episode. Be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to the Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan. And for everybody out there, stay safe and be well. Thank you.